This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 31. This is Writing Excuses. Dialogue Masterclass Episode 4. Everyone has an agenda. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Maurice. And I'm Howard. So we're going to talk about agendas today. Uh, characters want something. That's why they're in your story. Uh, how? What does this, Maurice, what does this have to do with dialogue? So I mean, I've been loving some of the uh, analogies that we've been having during the, the course of uh, this conversation. And, and so the whole idea of like a series of reveals has been just fascinating to me. So, you know, when I think about each person having an agenda, I mean, we each conversation means something. There's either something I'm trying to figure out or there's something I'm trying to hide. And and now it becomes a game of us trying to, you know, move those two agendas forward. And and so that's a lot of ways that I tend to view dialogue, which is why my favorite dialogue scenes to write are actually uh, interrogation scenes, because that's when it becomes a, a really stark contrast what's at stake, and how we're going to go about this sort of uh, gamesmanship of you're trying to get information out of me, I'm trying to hide it, and yet get information out of you too that you're trying to hide. So uh, that, that's, in a nutshell, that for me is at the heart of everyone having an agenda. This is that thing that I was talking about in episode one about the idea of, of area of intention, that there's an authorial area of intention, and then your character has their own area of intention. As Maurice says, Everyone has a reason for doing something. Like sometimes you're saying a thing because you're trying to be uh, to appear smart. Sometimes you're saying it to score a point. Sometimes you're saying it to convey information. Sometimes you're saying it to woo someone. Sometimes it's come out of your mouth and you're like, oh, I wish I had not said that out loud. So thinking about why, you know, what your character's objective was for why they said that thing. And they may not use the right tool for accomplishing that objective, which is, you know, part of what makes dialogue fun. Um, and is that it is, you know, its own version of a try-fail cycle. Yeah, I do love that idea. Um you know, we, we talk about unreliable narrators sometimes, but I think we also need to remember that people are just unreliable communicators. Uh, we are often very bad at saying what we mean or saying it in a way that, you know, will make people angry or that will not make people angry. Um, what I often find myself thinking uh, you know, we talked last episode about big conversations with multiple people. And those are one of my favorite things to write. And from an author intent point of view, often one of the reasons that I will have a character speak is, as an author, I need to remind you they're in the room. <laughs> it's important to make sure that this character says something so that you don't forget they're there. Uh, but the character needs their own motivation to speak. I'm here. They, I'm here. <laughs> they need to say something uh, other than just, well, the author wants to make sure you didn't forget me. And so thinking about, well, what is their agenda? Making sure they have an agenda. Why are they in the conversation? Often, and I've been in these conversations before with friend groups and things like that, 
often I have no agenda in a conversation. Sometimes my only purpose in speaking is just to tell a joke to make people laugh. Maybe I'm bored. Uh, maybe someone else is having a very meaningful conversation and I'm just stuck there awkwardly. Uh, though, those are still motivations, even if they are not driving the story forward. I, I call I call some of those, look, I'm just happy to be here. And what's fun about the I'm just happy to be here is often during the course of a conversation, there will be a reveal and I'm just happy to be here becomes, wait, we're doing what? <laughs> and I, and those, I mean, I've described it comedically. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, oh, I can't remember the class and none of it's important. Um, passenger and a driver in a, in a car, um, they're driving down the road and there is a fast food uh, place up ahead. And the passenger says, I'm thirsty. And what the passenger means is, I like the milkshakes that they serve there, and I want you to read my mind and let's go get milkshakes. But they haven't said that because even even uh, for themselves, they don't they, they haven't unpacked their own agenda. They just I'm thirsty. Yeah, we'll get something to drink when we get home. What you know? And then they're up they're upset. Well, how come you didn't pull over at that? Well, because we didn't complete the conversation because the character had an intent that they didn't fully understand and which they didn't communicate. I, I'm going to push back on that slightly as an interpretation uh, and, and just say that that this is this is an example of, uh, and we'll talk about this later, about where conflict can come from when two people have different understandings of the conversation. Um, there's uh, there's a, an idea of high context culture and low context culture. And high context culture is full of this kind of indirect communication. So instead of saying, will you pass me the salt? You say, is there any salt? And the code is, this means I, I don't need you to say, yes, there is salt. What I need you to do is pass me the salt. And so sometimes someone is saying something like that because what there's at the, the encoded stuff is uh, is basically around, um, I would like to stop for a milkshake, but I don't want to put you out if you don't also want to stop for a milkshake. Yeah, so... So this is this gets back into the thing we've already talked about, about, you know, knowing their agenda and knowing the character. Yep. Um, and it Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I have an agenda right now, which is that we need to pause for our book of the week. Ooh, and I've got the book of the week. The book of the week is kind of a technical manual. It's by Nate Piekos. It's called The Essential Guide to Comic Book Lettering. Why on earth would I hand you what is a graphic designer's technical manual if you're a writer? Let me read a little blurb off the back because they said it better than I can. 
well-crafted comic book lettering is the visual soundtrack that guides a reader's eye along the page with emotive dialogue, intuitively placed balloons, and dynamic sound effects. But these elements are just the beginning. In this book, you'll also learn the unique grammatical traditions of mainstream comics. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. If you want to write comics and you don't know the syntax of comic book dialogue, your letterer is going to choke. Your artist is going to choke. The whole project grinds to a halt because the writer is a novelist and not a comic book writer. The book is the book is so loaded with information. Now, as a comic book guy, I'm probably getting more out of it than non-graphic designer folks will. But if you're using, for instance, Photoshop and Illustrator to build your own book covers, there are going to be elements in here that, that you're going to love to have. So it is The Essential Guide to Comic Book Lettering by Nate Piekos. Wonderful. Okay, so. Uh, Maurice, you had yes. something you wanted to say before the break. Oh, yeah. It's just something uh, uh, something actually my therapist told me once. Uh, and, you know, I'll use anything for, you know, applying it to writing. But uh, she, she was saying that, you know, if people were clear communicators, you know, she would be out of a job. It's just we rarely say what we feel when we feel it. And so my application for that is just that, you know, as I was listening to Howard talk earlier, is the whole idea of like, you know, when I... Th- when I, I tend to, as a person, make you work for it, any information you want out of me, I tend to make you work for it. Um, you, you have to ask me directly. You have to, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of intentionality when I'm in, in a conversation with somebody. It drives my wife absolutely insane. Uh, but I, I realize at that as a tick of mine, it's just like, oh, no, I, I'm not just going to casually say things. Everything is with intentionality. And, then, and if not, I will disappear in the room. And not blink twice about it. I'm happy to uh, disappear in a crowd, which I know sounds counterintuitive for those who have actually met me and interacted with me. But uh, I, I will happily disappear into that crowd unless someone draws me out of it. And and so I th- think about that a lot uh, in terms of, of of dialogue and my character interactions. Uh, so for that person in the room uh, who uh, who disappears uh, or, or who, who speaks just to make sure to remind people they're in the room. Well, there are some people who are like, no, no, I'm trying to avoid detection. So now what does this mean in terms of how you write dialogue or, or your, your main character trying to ferret out that information that they need? One good trick that you can use for that sort of situation is uh, exactly what Mary Robinette did in our previous episode, uh, where I had not spoken in a while. So she asked me to talk about my own write- writing, uh, which is a way to draw people out. Uh, if they are not speaking and you need a good character-based reason, that character intention for them to be speaking, have another character force them to. Yeah. Um, or have them, you know, do something that, that Dan was talking about, like derailing things slightly. I um, it, And it's, it, it is... You know, you can have them tell an inappropriate joke, which can then introduce tension into the scene. You can have them say, does he want some tea? And go and putter someplace, which can reveal character about them. It's like, this is someone who's nurturing. This is someone who doesn't feel comfortable being not busy. There's a number of different things that you can do that that can 
um, that can bring that character in. One of the things that, um, going back to the the authorial area of intention and character area of intention, that I will think about as a person, uh, and then I will use that tool with my characters, um, that, I, that I'll think, what am I actually trying to accomplish here? So let's, let's use as an example an apology. So an apology is, uh, you know, is a part of a conversation between two people. Character wants something when they apologize. And there's a number of different things that that character can want. And you can tell which one they want when you read that apology. You can tell, because you've read these, these bad apologies, you can tell when it's not an apology. They just want you to think nice things about them. You can tell when it's an apology when they want to actually win the argument under the guise of pretending to apologize. And you can tell it's an apology where they want to fix the problem that they have created and let you know that they are no longer a problem. And all of those are different like areas of intention that inform the the ways that they are constructing that apology and it's exposed in the language that they use. So this idea that everybody has an agenda, the reason that we want you to think about it is because it affects not just what your character says and and how they say it, but also like the impact of it. Um you know because if if their agenda is one thing, I want people to think good things about me, and they do that apology that is the 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 non-apology, the faux apology. Mm-hmm. It's not going to fix the thing. People are not going to think good things. They're just going to get angrier, and so that agenda item then is a failure, right? So they've got an agenda, and what you've got there is then a try fail cycle. So you. There's the thing they want to accomplish. They try something and it fails, which is part of why, like, understanding what your character's goal is is so important when you're constructing dialogue. Um, Maurice, I have a question. I'm very intrigued by one of the lines in the outline you gave us that says, slowly unveiling a mystery. What do you mean by that? How does that refer to this agenda dialogue conversation? Well, I mean, if... if, uh... The, the four of us are in a, a murder mystery and someone's like, hey, who killed them? And I go, oh, oh, oh my bad. I did that. <laughs> you know, that kind of cuts the mystery uh, <laughs> pr- pretty short. <laughs> That's a great micro fiction, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, my bad. I did that. <laughs> who killed him? My bad. It was me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ta-da. And so... Uh, but, I mean, it, it, again, it, it, it's just the problem in microcosm, you know, it's like, all right, so, so one of you being the detective, you know, and I'm sitting there trying to hide this information, that now charges each one of our interactions, all right? So, um, and I'm going to be as indirect, I'm going to obfuscate, I'm going to uh, have, you know, allow for distraction as much as possible during any any interchange that we have in order to... Uh, you know, hide the fact that my goal is I want to get away with this murder, <laughs> right? So, so that, that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about when I, I when I'm thinking about that question. That is so often my goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is 
one of the lessons that I had to learn very early on with dialogue is, uh, you know, I would have two characters talking. One had information they didn't want to give up, but I, as the author, knew that this scene was the the scene where they gave it up. And yeah, it just ended up being clunky. I won't tell you, I won't tell you, I won't tell you. Okay, here it is. Uh, and making something like that feel natural is so difficult sometimes. You need to uh, allow for, you know, distractions, like you were saying. One character is trying to delay the conversation. The other character is asking probing questions because you can't just say, hey, did you kill the guy? You have to start asking other things, uh, you know, for that specific conversation. Uh, there's a really wonderful series of YouTube channels where they will actually show police interrogations. Uh, and I find those to be really fascinating. Uh, in particular, there's one, and I can't remember the, the name of the channel, where they will do police interrogations for people who are uh, uh, either who are claiming to be insane. They're clearly trying to set up an insanity plea. And so there's commentary along with it saying, well, this is what they're trying to accomplish by this sentence or by this behavior. And here's why it doesn't work. Nice. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I, the first please. time I played How to Host a Murder, I was the killer. And my What's My Motivation book, the first two pages were stuck together and I didn't know that I was the killer. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally won that game because... I lied so convincingly. You know, at one point they said, hey, you're a rock climber. You brought rope with you. Obviously, you swung to the balcony and committed the murder. And I was like, don't be ridiculous. Yes, I'm a rock climber. I'm not Tarzan. Uh, you know, just making fun of what they were saying, even though from the clues that were presented in the book, oh, he's totally the killer. <laughs> I totally got away with it because I didn't know. <laughs> and I, I learned a lot from that. You want to lie mm. convincingly, hide the facts from yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I was actually just thinking, because I love watching police interrogations, but uh, there was one that was uh, recorded, and it was literally following the Indianapolis police detectives. Uh, and it, it was a reality show that they were following them around. And there was this, this is like one of my all-time favorite police interrogations, I, but that would almost never work in, in, on the page. Because uh, it was basically, did you do it? No, I didn't do it. No, did you do it? No, I didn't do it. Man, I know your mama. All right, so here's what happened. And <laughs> it's like, really, he broke down because the, the detective said, I know your mama? It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I have found uh, the specific YouTube channel that I was thinking of that's all about criminal psychology. Um so, Howard, I've given you that link. You can include it in the liner notes for when we post this episode live. Okay. Which means that we are probably at that point where we should talk about homework. Absolutely. And I have your homework. Um, I want you to identify your character's area of intention. So go through and look at, the, look at a scene with dialogue and identify, just flag next to it, what is your character trying to accomplish when they say this? You should know what their area of intention is for the overall scene and also for each line of dialogue. And when I say you should know, I want to be super clear 
that most of the time, this is stuff that you have internalized and you're doing it instinctively. This is something that you should know for the purposes of this exercise. And if you've ever got a scene where you can't get traction um, or it's not working, this is a tool that you can pull out. Identify their area of intention for the whole scene and also for each line of dialogue. And bonus, when I say your character, I do mean every character that is engaged in that dialogue. This is Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. For this episode of Writing Excuses, your hosts were Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, Maurice Broadus, and Howard Taylor. It was engineered by Daniel Thompson and mastered by Alex Jackson. To find more of Writing Excuses and support us, check out patreon.com slash writing excuses. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 